All right, here's how we're going to start. The way, the way we always start is uh, before we jump into the scripture passage for the sermon, before we talk about the sermon, we kind of talk about what we're going to talk about before we talk about it. We're going wait to go anywhere because I need you to confirm something for me. Uh, but we're going we're to talk to the kids first. So kids, if I could have your attention. Uh, that song that we just sang, Jesus Loves Me. Uh, who likes that song? <laughs> that, that is awesome. I love that song. I just, I know some people, maybe there's some here who don't like that song so much because it, you know, it sounds like it's for little kids. Uh, okay, I was going to have us sing that song together today. And then uh, when Ravon put out the music, see, I don't pick the music. Ravon picks the music. When Ravon picked the music, he picked Jesus Loves Me. Nope. No, I did not see that you were going to preach on that at all. True, like, true story. <laughs> so this is such a God thing uh, that we needed, we need this, we love this song. This song is so awesome. Uh, and, I, you know, you could probably tell this, but uh, Ravon loves that song. But uh, if you would just look at Ravon, I'm embarrassing him, so I didn't ask him if I could do this. But uh, you, you, Ravon's a pretty strong guy. And when I say pretty strong, Ravon is a very strong guy. And Ravon loves this song that talks about, uh, has go, Jesus loves me, this I know. Uh, and he says, uh, the, he loves his little, little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Ravon thinks he's one of those weak ones. Ravon thinks he's, he's a weak child who needs God. I think I am too. Uh, but, but I'm not as cool as Ravon. So look at, like, look at Ravon. Uh, Ravon thinks that. Uh, now, uh, what do you think, what, what does that mean? Like, if we say, kids, what do you think that means to say, oh, I'm weak, but he's strong? It can't mean like, oh, I'm not like big and tough. And I mean, Ravon says that stuff, I'm weak, but he's strong. So what does that mean? What do we mean when we say, I'm weak, but Jesus is strong? What do you think? Anybody want to guess? Remember, we just throw out all kinds of stuff here. We'll work it out together. What does it mean? I'm weak, but Jesus is strong. What's my weakness? You just talk about me. You don't even have to talk about yourself. What's weak about me? How about that? Sin. Sin. He, that, he, that took no. Sinner. Uh, yes. <laughs> me. I am a sinner. I am weak with my sin. Teddy is right, and I can't do anything about my sin. I am not smart enough. I am not good enough. I am not strong enough to do anything about my sin. I can't. Jesus, I need Jesus to come do it for me. I need Jesus to live for me the life that I should live, a perfect life with no sin. And then I need Jesus to have died for me, to take all of my sin on himself on the cross, to forgive me of my sin and to make me right, to make me someone who is perfect, which he is working out right now, not just in me, but in all of you. And this is the thing we're going to talk about today. Our salvation does not start, does not just, whew, does not just start with Jesus. It starts with Jesus, and we're like, forgive me, and I need you, Jesus. But then guess what? You need Jesus every moment of every day. You need his grace every moment of every day. We never get, oh, I'm done with Jesus. Now I've got my life. We are weak. He is strong. We're always like little children, always needing Jesus. That's what we're going to talk about today. And the good news is, Jesus' grace, he's got us. From beginning to end, he's going to get us all the way to heaven to be with him forever. We're in our series in 2 Corinthians. Uh, this is, uh, we're reaching the end of it. 1 Corinthians this is his second letter. 1 Corinthians addresses a whole bunch of problems. 
whole bunch of divisions in that church. Paul writes a letter to them. They don't like his first letter. They don't respond well to 1 Corinthians. A lot of heated intensity, you know, infighting back and forth about what do they do with Paul, and they end up rejecting Paul. And then, this is between 1 and 2 Corinthians. In the midst of all this rejection of Paul, Paul's going back and forth with them, uh, trying to get them to repent and come back to the gospel, come back to Jesus. And he gets a majority of them to come back, to repent, to, uh, to repent of their hate of Paul and hate of the gospel. But there is a minority. There's a minority that holds out because, another, I know this is like a lot of context here, but just a group of false teachers in the midst of this storm in the church, there's, a, there's an outside group of false teachers These that they preach a prosperity gospel that if your good life is going to go well for you, they come in in the midst of all this chaos in the church infighting and they assume leadership. And there's a very strong minority in the church that is holding out that sides with these false teachers. That's really the occasion for 2 Corinthians. That's who Paul is really addressing and trying to win back from these false teachers is the rest of the church. Uh, so here we are. We're, we're towards the end. Uh, he's really had one message from beginning to end. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Please stand for the, for the reading of God's word. We'll be, we'll be in chapter 11, and then for the bulk of it, we'll be in chapter 12. And what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. If I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Okay, here's Paul, and Paul is not, I mean, you can tell here, Paul's not comfortable with what he's doing. Uh, he's boasting. He actually started boasting back in chapter 10. We, we saw some of this last week, but he was boasting back then, you know, just a few chapters earlier, he's boasting about the power of the gospel. But then in chapter 11, Paul does start, to, we didn't read this, but Paul does start to boast about himself. 
He boasts about his credentials. Because the Corinthian church has become enamored with these false teachers who were, they were so successful by the world's standards of success that now the church is questioning Paul's credentials. So Paul has to go off on this thing and he has to defend his resume to get a hearing with his, his own church. So he starts off boasting about his heritage uh, and in the middle of, of the sentence, he goes from boasting about his family, you know, how prestigious it is. He goes, on, he goes from moving, uh, he moves from boasting about his education, which is so prestigious, to boasting about his absolute train wreck of a life, which is weird because no one, brag, no one brags about their suffering. And then we get to chapter 11, and he reiterates how much he hates this boasting stuff. Verse 1, chapter 12, there is nothing really to be gained by this. And he transitions back from boasting about his suffering. He goes back to boasting about his religious experiences with God, of, of revelations and visions he's had. This is the kind of stuff that false teachers would love to talk about. They would love to write books about. God told me this. God told me that. God showed me this. Uh, so Paul says, okay, well, okay, I actually was caught up to heaven. And, he, and he, he, he says that the other guys, they're, they're all actually lying. He says, but I actually was caught up to heaven. And he says, not heaven like the sky. You know, we think of heaven like the sky. And, he says, and not heaven like the stars. Heaven like heaven, heaven, heaven. What, what the Jews called third heaven. That place where God is with his angels. And he says, it was so transcendent. I don't know if I was actually transported to heaven physically, or if this was like a vision thing. It was so overwhelming and crazy, I don't know. I saw things, and I heard things. But Paul does not tell us what he saw or what he heard. Paul actually doesn't even talk about this in the first person. This is one of those third-person humble brags this, that's really, really about you. You know, uh, there's this show called The Office, um, and the main character is the regional manager uh, of a paper company. It's named Michael Scott, and he mean, Michael means well. He does. He's a, he's a well-intentioned guy, but his innocent attempts at humor, they, they all, they're always offensive. They're always annoying. Uh, he, he's a big, insecure, childish adult. Okay, but one episode, it looks like the branch is going to be closing down and everyone's going to lose their job, and so everyone starts freaking out, and Michael has to keep everyone distracted during the day just to get through the day while he kind of tries to figure out what's really happening. Are they going to shut down or not? And he does this amazing job of keeping everyone distracted and okay, and it all works out in the end. And then at the end, Michael, this is, this is one of those faux, like, you know, uh, what do you call them? Uh, documentaries, the mockumentary. So he's giving his monologue at the end, and this is what he says. When I retire, I don't want to just disappear to an island somewhere. I want to be the guy who gives everything back. I want it to be like, hey, who donated that hospital wing that is saving so many lives? Um, well, I, I don't know. It was anonymous. Well, guess what? That was Michael Scott. But, but it was anonymous. How do you know? Because I'm him. <laughs> basically, that's what Paul, that's, that's basically, that's kind of like what Paul is doing right here. I mean, it, it, only Paul is not, he's not being hypothetical, and he really does hate, like, the, the, this is how he's having to go about this. He talks about this in the third person. He's been sitting on this experience for 14 years. He's told no one about this. And he still refuses to describe exactly what, what happened, what he saw, what he heard. Whatever it was, 
it, it had something to do with forming him as Jesus' apostle, but we are not privy to it. And yet for Paul, this experience, it was so awesome. It was so awesome that even Paul, having had this experience, was in danger of getting a big head. I mean, this is, this, is where Paul, this is where Paul shows his hand and he admits that he's talking about himself. He goes from talking about the third person in this experience to saying, okay, I know someone who had this experience in heaven. It was so awesome. I was in danger of becoming conceited, so I was giving a, uh, given a thorn in the flesh to keep, to keep me from becoming conceited. And this thorn in the flesh, it mean, it, it, we don't have to get, uh, it means just what it sounds like. Like Paul was given something he did not like and he wanted God to remove. Everybody, what was it? Everybody, people have written books on this stuff. What was the thorn? We don't know. Was it something physical like an illness or an injury or something emotional or spiritual like depression or PTSD from, from all of the beatings, all of the stonings, all of the imprisonments, all of the persecutions. He says later, all of the insults, all of the hardships, all of the calamities that he's gone through. Paul does not, we don't know, and Paul does not want us to know because he wants each and every one of you, he wants all of us to relate to him because the point of all our suffering, the point of our suffering is the same as the point of Paul's suffering. Again, think, think of a child going to their parent, asking them to take out a splinter because it hurts. Okay, that's the point of the thorn. Did you get that? Okay. That's the point. Of the, it's, supposed to draw, it's supposed to draw Paul to God in weakness, asking God for help, which ironically is a strengthening of his faith. He goes in weakness. It makes him strong. But with every, with every trial that God sends us, this is, y'all, this is a so what for us. This is true for us. Every trial that God sends us uh, uh, to draw us to himself, that's the point. He sends suffering in order to draw his children to himself for help. And it's meant to strengthen us. Every trial that he does send us, meant to draw us to him, it all, every single one comes with temptations to actually move away from God and move towards sin. But that does not mean that God is tempting us to sin when he gives us suffering. Those temptations to move away from God instead of to God, they either come from inside of us, from sinful hearts, or they come from the devil, Paul says. And here is a big so what kind of application for us. Paul is not saying you should go looking for suffering. Paul is not saying Suffering is just, it's my favorite. If you can avoid suffering, avoid it. If you can get out of suffering, get out of it. Uh, you are going to be tempted to sin in all of your suffering, and sin is not good. Beloved ones, we've got to be careful how we talk about this because suffering is not good in and of itself. Death is not good in and of itself. Sickness, any kind of weakness, it is not good in and of itself. There will be no weakness in heaven. No suffering and no death. But you will never get beyond suffering in this life. Ever, ever, ever. 
Some suffering comes and it goes, but some suffering remains with you, as in God never takes it away from you. And it becomes a thorn exposing your weakness and your need. The false teachers in Corinth that Paul is opposing here, they say that God's power is with the strong, that if you want to see God's strength, look at successful Christians. The, the super spiritual in the church are the ones that they've got it figured out, and they've got wisdom for every area of life. They have figured out every area of life from home building to child raising to healthy living to fun vacaying to spiritual experiencing. They've got it all figured out. They've got wisdom for you. God is always talking to them. God, God always has a word for them. And sometimes they have a word for them for you. And you wonder, man, why doesn't God speak to me like that? And the response, well, they have figured out how to hear God, and all you need to do is listen to them. These are the kinds of people who say that because they're Christians, they've overcome weaknesses. Uh, they have figured out how to always have joy. They, ha they have moved beyond doubts. They have found success with Christianity. And suffering and discouragement, that's for weak people. There was an 18th century pastor and hymnist who once said, uh, I, I heard this from uh, uh, Alistair Begg, Scottish uh, pastor. He, he said there's an 18th century pastor and hymnist who once said, a Christian never falls asleep in the fire or in the water, but grows drowsy in the sunshine. As in, you don't fall asleep in the fire, and you do not fall asleep when the waters are rushing over your head, but it's really easy to fall asleep in the sunshine. Not in Houston. That's like falling asleep in fire. But you get the point. Like, you fall, you fall asleep in the shade. You know, that thing. So where, so the question is, where did we get today's brand of Christianity? Like, like this, the late 20th, early 21st century Western brand of Christianity, it does not ring true in Egypt or in Pakistan. Nobody from Ukraine would listen to that. And it's no wonder people from mainland reaches of India would say, I don't even recognize what you guys are talking about over there in the United States. Like, where did you come up with that stuff? Follow Jesus and join the sunshine party? Like, you, sh you should come over here for a little while. We're we'll show you sunshine. It's in we, this is not to shame any of us, uh, I say this stuff to myself before I say it to any of you. Uh, this is not, shame doesn't work, but it is a thing of remembering that we do not want our church to fall asleep. The hard thing about falling asleep is you don't know when you, you don't know when you're falling, you, you don't know when you've fallen asleep. It's, it's when you wake up and you look over to the next person, you're like, did I fall asleep? They're like, yeah, and you're drooling. <laughs> and you're like, oh, oh it's so embarrassing. No. So it's a thing of like, please, please, Jesus, Wake us up. Wake up your church in America. Wake us up if we have fallen asleep. And help us not to run to our strengths. Help us to acknowledge our weaknesses. Christians know, we know that our life as Christians, it starts with admitting our weakness of our sin, our need of grace. We need Jesus to forgive us. And then we become Christians and it's so tempting to think. We all just start to think, okay, I, I got it from here. 
as if we did not need Jesus' grace for every moment of every day. Paul's opponents say with all this suffering, they want to see some evidence of the life of the resurrected Christ in Paul's life. We don't see it. Paul, your life, it's just suffering. Like, where is Jesus and his power in it? And Paul says, yeah, all of my suffering is the evidence of the life of the resurrected Christ in my life. It is this thing of the fact that Paul is suffering and that he is still holding on to Jesus is evidence that Jesus is at work in him because it is Jesus who is holding on to Paul and will not let him go. And we want to ask, where is God's power in our weakness and in our suffering? It is God giving you faith. Faith in the midst of your suffering that is strong enough to sustain you. It is, give, it is him giving you grace for faith that keeps you going. And the question is, isn't that hard? Yes. If the Christian life were easy, no trials, no suffering, no affliction, you and I would think we do not need Jesus. The cross shrinks when life is easy and you think you're strong. You don't need the cross. The heart exposes our need. The heart exposes his persevering power. The, the power of God at work in us, it, just, it does not mean we look like Superman in this life. In this life, the power of Jesus, it's not seen in the super Christian who has it all together and everything is awesome. The evidence of Jesus' love for you, the evidence of Jesus' love in you right now, it is your perseverance in your sufferings, in the midst of your weakness, because he's the power and he's the strength at work in you. The evidence that Jesus loves you right now, it is not getting every one of your prayers answered. It's just not. Success in your job, in your marriage, in your family, in your dating life, in your relationships, with your kids as a parent, uh, your kids' success in their lives, their relationships. The love and power of Jesus in your life is that in the midst of whatever it is you're going through, look around. You're still here loving Jesus, confessing, yeah, he is Lord. Paul says, I'll boast in my weaknesses. Suffering is not my favorite, but I'm content because I know God is still with me in my suffering. My weaknesses do not mean I'm any less loved by God. My weaknesses do not mean uh, that, that I'm any less useful to God because God is with the weak. When we're in with this, when Paul says, when Paul says that he prayed to God three times to remove this thorn, he, he really means it. Like he's not, he, he really means that. He prayed over and over for God to remove this. And when he says that, I prayed three times, he means to point us away from himself and point us to Jesus. Because you, you, I mean, that should ring bells of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is the night before his crucifixion, and Jesus knows what is coming. And he, know, he know, and he prays to his Father in heaven three times. This thing of if it's possible to, if it's possible, take this cup away from me. If it's possible to do this any other way, if it's possible to save this people any other way, let's do it in another way. But if not, your will be done. Paul asked three times for his suffering to be taken away, and God answered him and said, "No." 
My grace is sufficient for you. We hear the same response from God when we ask him to take away all our suffering. He is going to say, no, my grace is sufficient for you. We hear no and grace because in the garden, Jesus heard no, but he didn't hear grace. We hear grace because Jesus heard no, and then he heard judgment. He heard no, and then he heard condemnation. He heard no, and go to the cross. Because Jesus took the cross, we hear no, and then we hear grace, and grace that will carry us, and and his strength will be with us always. God's power is made perfect in weakness at the cross, where Jesus became weak in order to suffer for our sins. And by his grace, you have been saved. And loved ones, all of our salvation from beginning to the end, it is by his grace and the strength of his grace. It is sufficient for all of our weaknesses, for all of our days. Let's pray. Father, we, we boast we glory in your strength. Father, when we are weak, you are strong, and it's when we're weak that we see you most strong. Lord, we pray. We pray that in exposing our weaknesses and our utter need of you today, the cross would be bigger today. And then tomorrow, we pray that we would only be exposed more to our utter need of you, and the cross would be bigger, and be bigger the next day, and the next day, and the next day. That your love for us, that we would see it, Uh, only grow, to see it uh, 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 bigger and bigger and bigger, Uh, actually never knowing that we will actually never know the infinite grace and love that you have for us. Father, we thank you for this cross that we boast in, a cross that is so big we will boast in it forever and ever and ever. We praise our Lord and Savior and what he has done for us. Bless us to hold on to Jesus together and to hold out to Jesus to anyone who wants him. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.